What's up ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Knuckle Sandwich. I'm your host Brandon Anderson and today we are sitting down with UFC Bellator PFL judge Anthony Maness. We go over some of his most fantastic events and fights that he has been a part of of all time. We talk about some of the new things coming to the UFC and also we talk about the perspective and what they look for as judges in these pro fights. So now that you're ready, make sure to turn on your listening ears, grab a sandwich, and kick your feet up, because here we go. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the one and only former light heavyweight champ, kickboxer, promoter, ref, administrator, judge, you name it, he's done it. We are here with Anthony Maness. Anthony, how are you, my friend? Yeah, glad to be here, brother. How you doing? I'm I'm good. I feel like I didn't really do the the introdu introduction justice with with everything that you have done in the combat sports world. But uh, hopefully, we touch on quite a bit of it in this interview today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just saw you just last weekend at uh, in Clarksville at the fights. How did you enjoy those? Those were pretty good. I felt like. Yeah, I was impressed. Um, you know, Angel Promotions uh, used to do shows years ago, and they've been on a a hiatus and it was good to see them come back. It was great to be in Clarksville. Uh, I got to see a lot of old friends and, um, the fights itself, I think they were really, really well. Yeah. And, um, uh, the Clarksville fan base has always been solid. Uh, that's a fight town. And, uh, I was impressed with the turnout. Yeah, it, it, for sure. it looks sold out. I, I don't think they could have got another person in that venue. Yeah, those all the chairs, the bleachers, everything were all filled. So it was it was cool to see, and it was cool to get to work the event. I, I was telling Mike Merriman, like, it's been 10, 12 years since I've been at a local MMA event. And so to be working it, doing interviews and all that, it was it was cool to feel like we're like I didn't miss a beat. I was back in the whole process again. So it was pretty neat. But yeah, the crowd was exciting. They were in it from the beginning to the end. It was it was really good. I'm excited for, for more to come, hopefully, in Clarksville. We'll see. Um, so let's talk about you uh, as a a fighter coming up, right? Like like I had said in the intro, you were world heavy light heavyweight champion in kickboxing. I did some digging around on Facebook and Google and all that stuff. You were once ranked number four in the world in kickboxing, if I if I'm correct, right? No, right, right. That was right before I won the world title. Wow. So talk talk to me a little about a little bit about that. How did you kind of get into kickboxing and then and then really start to climb up the ranks and, and those kind of things? Well, you know, uh my first love has always been boxing. Mm -hmm. Um I I came up in the golden when I was a kid, I came up in the golden era. You know, we had uh, Muhammad Ali was at the end of his career. But there was George Foreman, uh, Frazier, Ken Norton, all those great, great heavyweights that captured my imagination. Then we had, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, mm -hmm. all of them. And it, boxing was in it's to me, it's payday. Oh, yeah. So I started boxing when I was 12 years old, sub novice. Uh, I finished my amateur boxing career 13 and one. Um, so by then, uh, I was like, uh, 18, 19. And, um, 
during the off season, the Golden Glove came to Jackson, Tennessee, once mm-hmm. a year. Someone uh, that I worked with, uh, Mr. David Rhodes, uh, he was a black belt in Wadaroo Karate. He suggested that I try karate just to keep my reflexes sharp. Um, and along about that time, the PKA premiered on ESPN, uh, and I got introduced to the Bill Wallace, uh, Bob Thunder Thurman, those kind of guys. And uh, so I said, that's what I want to try. Uh, so um, by the time I was a brown belt, I started amateur kickboxing and uh, finished uh, at uh, 45 and 5, uh, 38 knockouts. And um, so I was like, wow, I like this. Uh, but, you know, I always want to point this out uh, to any uh, potential fighters. And, and I guess this translates into other things, too. A lot of people like to talk about the successes, the great record, and things like that. I lost three of the first four amateur fights I had. Wow. I was one in three. Can you imagine how my friends and coworkers and family was saying, look, you suck. Yeah, hang it up already. <laughs> you suck. Hang it up. But I was just like, you know – I, I see what I'm doing wrong. I'm too tentative. I'm trying to be too technical. You know, at the end of the day, it's a fight. So I had to let that brawler in me out. And I think I won like 38 straight to any young fighter. A loss is, can be used as a great opportunity uh, to, to grow. Um, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know, combat sports is not forever. Lose a fight. Don't think that that's the end. So that's that's a lesson that I learned early in my oh, yeah. career. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's what's what's the saying? It's not about how hard you can hit, but about how hard you can get hit and then get back up and keep fighting, right? So it's like taking those losses, learning from them, and then continuing to grow and and improving after that. Um, who was so you had? What'd you say? 50 fights, 45 and five, right? How amateur, was, yes. Who was your toughest opponent, amateur or pro, that you that you can think of, or if there's a couple of them? Uh there's no doubt uh who that was. Uh it was a young guy. I fought him in Atlanta, Georgia. He was from the country, Columbia, uh, Ricardo Nagara. Okay. I'll never forget that. A little stocky guy. Um, technically he was limited. Uh, the first round I easily was beating him and there's an old saying somewhere in the second round, I zigged when I should have zagged <laughs> because in the locker room, everybody talked about how hard he hit. Uh, and it was just suddenly lights out. Uh, wow. I just, I looked up and there was a referee and he sounded like he was another room going four, five. Wow. So I was like, wow, you know, he's knocked me down. So I, I struggled to my feet and I didn't realize it, but there was a puddle of blood on my chest because he had just like bloodied my nose. Um, and before that round was over, he knocked me down again. I got knocked down twice. I was one knockdown from getting stopped. 
Uh, by the way, I was never knocked out uh, in amateur or pro, there but he go. came really close. And that the third round, I was just fighting to survive. Uh, basically him chasing me around the ring and me, well, trying not to get hit again. And one reason I will never forget that fight. And this carried over into me as a judge to this day. I won that fight. I could not believe it when they read the scorecards and I won. I did not win that fight. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. I lost that fight. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of the judges many years later. And we were talking and I said, I've got to ask you. And he didn't even let me finish. He said, Anthony, you won that fight. You did. And I said, no, I didn't. Trust me, I didn't. And he started trying to explain how uh, he gave me the first round and the third round because Nagara never hit me again. But come on. Yeah. I was fighting to survive. And <laughs> uh, I, I basically it was a foot race, him chasing me, trying to finish the job. But, but as a judge this day, I never forget how horrible I felt being awarded that decision mm. when I knew I didn't win. Yeah. As a judge, you're not doing a fighter any favors by awarding them a fight that they know the crowd knows their coaches know everybody knows you lost. You yeah. just got a hometown decision, which Atlanta is not my hometown, but a Southern it's closer boy. than Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much closer than another country. So, so how did I know that, man, we could, I feel like I could just sit here across my leg and just listen to you talk for about an hour or two about stories. Cause it's so interesting to, to hear about kind of the, the upbringing of you in combat sports and, and how this transformed into who you are as the person and the judge and things like that today. Um, another thing that I want to talk about or touch on, and this probably segmented into this as well Lexington, Tennessee is like your your hometown. I remember a long time ago in the Team Rock Cage Assault days, uh, Strike Team. Uh, yes. When did when did Strike Team kind of come around? And was that kind of everything ever something that you really envisioned yourself doing? Is like you know being part of this fight team, coaching things like that, taking these amateur fighters and bringing them pro. And is that something that you really thought about young Absolutely days moving not. up? Yeah, not at all. Um, I, I had pretty much gotten out of the fight game. Okay. Um, I was, uh, uh, the head of security for a local bikini contest that was held at Fisherdale, uh, every, the tea room every year. And, uh, after the contest, uh, we always got on somebody's pontoon or houseboat and the party started. Well, this young guy jumped up on this boat with a python around his neck and he said do you know me anthony minus and i i did recognize him because i went to church with him and i said you're jason wood oh and gosh he goes, <laughs> and he goes well 
I want to be a fighter. And I remember thinking in my head, oh, do you now? <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what, uh, come to a uh, Harvey's gym next Monday night and we'll see. Yeah. I didn't even expect him to be there, but he showed up. He uh, immediately agreed to fight in an amateur kickboxing event that next Thursday. He did remarkably well. And uh, I was like, wow, he's the real deal. Yeah. So that started the process of uh, actually teaching him how to, to fight. Uh, and that kind of bled into my involvement into mixed martial arts. Okay. I saw real quick, you know, I could handle the striking, but I was sorely lacking in the submission, the ground game. Mm -hmm. So we, we sought out a guy named Max Bishop yep. and uh, from Arkansas and he loved Jason too. And he saw the potential. And so we just started blending what Jason was learning from Max into the striking that I was teaching and strike team was born wow and, and i said you know the stars lined up with that team i uh, had teddy holder from uh, henderson yeah who who ended up fighting for a world title himself he lost but he 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 still fought for it and that's a hell of an accomplishment oh yeah um, bobby taylor i think he's the fourth ranked bare knuckle boxer in the world yeah. right now uh i had obviously Jason who, who actually fought for a world title himself. Mm -hmm. It was just a bunch of super talented athletes that all came together to make strike team. Yeah. I, like I said, with the team rock days, I remember strike team, not necessarily as a rival, right? But you guys had one dude that everybody in Camden wanted to beat. And that was Lane Lockhart. Yes, yes. Everybody wanted to beat Lane Lockhart and nobody ever could as an amateur. We couldn't figure it out. And I remember like, yeah, I, I think it was uh, Adam Smothers and, and Chad Snyder and everybody was like, I want him. I want him. And we, we couldn't do it. And it was, I just yeah. remember that when I think of strike team, I think of those names, like you said, like uh, Bobby Taylor, Teddy Holder, Jason Wood, Lane Lockhart, all those guys, Cody Moore was another one. Cody Moore. Yeah. And it was, that was a, a Wesley Conway. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. There, there were several great, yeah. great fighters. It's so interesting Jimmy to hear Potts. Jimmy Potts. Yes. I remember Jimmy too. That was such a, you guys had such a well-rounded team for sure. It was, you guys had a great group of dudes that tried to do everything, not just, get in a cage and brawl right like they they actually understood and loved the game for itself rather than just trying to get in there and just fight somebody uh um, yeah which can is, you imagine how fun it was for me to coach them animals right. <laughs> you know it's, it's like wow it's so fun coaching these guys who are all true fighters they they listen they 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 put in what you show them teach them into action and it it was fun. It was a real fun part of my life. What was what's some of the best memories of Strike Team, if you have any, just to pull out? Well, now that the statute of limitations is probably passed, <laughs> I can tell you, you know, 
they were a fun bunch, not only in the ring and cage, but outside. Mm. I'll never forget. We were like in Arkansas, I think, for a fight. And um, it was over. And we were headed back to the to the room. And the party was ensuing, the after party. And one of the guys slapped one of the jumped and slapped one of the uh, fire extinguisher uh, <laughs> the nozzles. He didn't break it off. Had he of, they would have had to evacuate the whole <laughs> hotel. But he cut his hand so bad, and I'll never forget that. Like, oh, wow, geez. you know, as, as if the fight itself wasn't violent enough, they're still getting hurt <laughs> after the fight. Oh man, that's awesome! I love it. I I can't wait to uh, to create more of those memories. And it's always good to kind of reminisce, look back on, and kind of kind of see how all those things have like brought brought us to where we are now. Um, so let's kind of jump into the future a little bit, or the present day more so. You are a ISKA rep, is that right? Is, am I saying that correctly? For the state of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I'm the ISK state director for Tennessee. And in Kentucky, uh, I'm the state director for kickboxing only. Okay. And so what is what is the uh, the job of the ISKA for you entail? Like, what, what, do, what do you do with all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, I'm going to make this, you know, very quick. Okay. Because um, it's very, very detailed. In that role, I'm the guy that makes sure that hands are wrapped properly, uh, the rules are followed and applied properly, the referee is doing a competent job, uh, that all the safety protocols are in place, there's an ambulance, there's EMTs, uh, a ringside physician, um, that everybody made weight, uh, all the proper uh, physicals and eye exams and basically to make sure that all the rules are followed laid out by the ISKA. Okay. Which is the largest sanctioning body for amateur sports, combat sports in the world. Yeah. So do you deal with mostly then like amateur events uh, rather than like pro events or do you do a mixture of both or how does that work? Well, under the the umbrella of the ISK, it's all amateur. Okay. Now, they do sanction pro fights, but uh, I, I in the state of Tennessee and in most states, the State Athletic Commission sanctions and oversees the professional part. Okay, gotcha. Um, with amateurs, do you ever feel like – so in the sports world in general, right, like we've always – you have to be professional to get paid. That's always been the thing. But now we're seeing like with college athletes and basketball, football and things like that, they can sell, they can sign these NIL deals where they get paid by sponsors, yada, yada, yada. Do you think that we will ever get there with amateur fighters to where they're getting paid in these NIL deals and, and things of that nature? Because I feel like recently I've kind of noticed back in back 10, 12 years ago, you would see guys fight 10, 15, 20 amateur fights before going pro. But it seems like now there's fighters that are only having two or three amateur fights and then turning pro just so they can start getting paid for it. Exactly. Uh, you know, that's a great question, and, and I've thought about it myself. The The big difference, uh, I think, between combat sports and like uh, football, basketball, 
combat sports mm. has such a short those athletes have such a sh short window mm -hmm. and because of the reason that you just said two or three amateur fight it's very hard to judge the potential or future of an amateur fighter when they've only fought two or three fights right um so it's doubtful that that would ever happen okay you know when i think back to when i was referring to boxing if you remember uh oscar de la hoya mm -hmm. uh locally jackie beard those guys uh sugar ray leonard perfect example uh, those guys, their potential was obvious. Okay. We all knew that they were going to be successful pros, and they were. If that situation existed today, which I cannot see that happening in MMA or kickboxing, now, it's unheard of for a kickboxer to have 50 fights now. Nobody right. does that. Uh, that's why I say I doubt it. It's okay. just not enough opportunity to judge the the financial impact that this athlete might have. Gotcha. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, so I'm trying to connect the dots, Anthony, because um, I'm trying to create a leadway into judging. Right. So we started out in the boxing, kickboxing, moved into coaching, then ISKA, and then how did we become kind of the professional judge that we are now what what was that bridge of the gap there that got us into the profession we're in well you know um luck okay preparation that you know i always i think it was lee trevino one time said he had like chipped one in from you know like 30 40 yards out and one of his guys that was playing the round of golf with him said, wow, you are so lucky. And he said, yeah, I am. And the more I practice, the luckier I get. Mm. And that that's a great quote because you, you have to be competent. And that only comes from doing it so, so much. Uh, I had judged. I got asked this question last Saturday night. How many fights have I judged? It's honestly probably in the thousands. Yeah. Because, uh, see, I judge for a tough man okay. for 10, 15 years. Uh, I was going all over the United States judging tough man events, uh, amateur boxing, amateur kickboxing, uh, amateur MMA. So here's the luck part. I happen to know Jeff Mullen, okay. who had been uh, such a huge part of my career. He he was actually at the Bill Wallace fight, cornering another fighter. So he saw me from fighter to judge, and it, he was very impressed with me as a judge. So when he became the Tennessee athletic director, he started using me for big fights that came to Tennessee, such as UFC Bellator. Well, when I retired from my real job at Columbus McKinnon, uh, I reached out, uh, and I don't know if you know this, my, my wife passed away of cancer along right. uh, at the same, same time. So I found myself really open to travel, 
to do that kind of thing. So it's like, be careful what you wish for, because I reached out to the ISKA, the UFC, Bellator, uh, the boxing world, Floyd Mayweather. I said, I am available if you guys need me. Well, they took me at my word. Oh, yeah. Um, so next thing I know, I'm on. A, I'm spending half my life on a plane uh, going to judge. And But then Jeff Mullen had become the Nevada athletic director. Okay. And that's just like you have Nevada and California. Andy Foster, who tells the story all the time about being a kid, and he saw me fight in Atlanta. And so I had two great, that's call it luck, opportunity, whatever, for those two guys to start using me. And uh, I'm, just, that's, I'm just being brutally honest. It, it was a lot of luck involved. Yeah, because I remember, I think it was after UFC Nashville in August, I messaged you and I was like, all right, Anthony, how do I get to where you are? How do I, how do I be you in the future? And you're just like, man, it's a tight-knit community. You got to start at the bottom and know some people, and that's pretty much how you get mm-hmm. there. And uh, yeah, so it's cool to hear you say, like, you know, you did the tough man competition for 10, 15 years, and then you started doing other stuff. And then, yeah, and then it's a long road and connections. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you have to be ready when the opportunity comes for sure. Absolutely. So, being a judge, this, I think, in my opinion, other than obviously the fighters, because you're getting beat up, judges and refs definitely have the hardest jobs when it comes to fight night, right? Like you are the the deciding right. factors in what the heck is going on if the fighters can't do it themselves. And so we've kind of touched on this question a little bit with the process of becoming a judge, but what does it take to be a judge on the highest level where you're at right now? Well, the first thing you have to clearly understand the criteria that you're judging these fighters by. And that's that's a riff between the the fight community, the judges, and the general fan base. Mm. Because trust me, everybody is an expert on MMA. Every fan I don't thinks care. they could ju- every fan thinks they could do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if it's Joe Blow who's sitting in a local bar drinking beer occasionally glancing up at the screen, he will be the first one to call you an idiot because you judged a a round or a fight a certain way. Mm -hmm. Because, trust me, he's an expert. They don't understand how detailed the criteria. We we have constant uh, meetings uh, like this, uh, Zoom meetings on training, new developments, things that we need to to look for and the most controversial is the 10-8 round oh i love it let's get into Uh, it because that's one of my questions too is for you as a judge what are you looking for in a 10-8 round well you have the three basics damage dominance and duration okay with by far the most important being damage because okay. it's a fight. Um, as a judge, if you have dominance and duration, that's rare that that's enough for me to give you a 10-8. Okay. Let's say uh, a guy, he gets an early takedown, and he takes the guy's back. 
but he doesn't even come close to to sinking in a rear naked or or anything. But he did have dominance. He had a dominant position, and he had duration of the round. But at the end of the round, the guy on the bottom jumps up. He's unmarked. He's fresh. And in essence, the guy who had his back with his legs grasping, trying to actually may have damaged himself more than the guy that he had the dominant position on. I actually right. saw that two weeks ago in Vegas. A guy kept the, uh, his opponent's back pretty much the whole round, and he could barely walk at the end of the round because he gassed his legs, and he got TKO'd early the next round. Wow. But now, a 10-8 round is when there's clear damage. Uh, fighter A is scoring hard blows. He has that dominant position, be it striking, be it ground, for the duration of the round. That's a 10-8 round. Gotcha. Yeah. But, I... uh, Go ahead. You, you know, you have to be. A 10-8 round, as we saw in the UFC um, a month or so ago, it has huge impact. Let, let's say you and I are in an MMA fight. You mm -hmm. clearly win round one. Mm -hmm. You clearly win round two. But uh, I get a good – a flash knockdown. You go down. But for the last uh, three minutes, let's say, uh, you're scrambling, and I'm in a dominant trying to finish it. You give me that 10-8 round, now it's a draw. Mm -hmm. And yet, you won most of that fight. You won two, almost one half of uh, another right. round of that. Yet now we're looking at a draw, and I right. hate draws. Yeah, there was the – I think we're probably thinking of the same fight in the Noche UFC main event, the Shevchenko Grasso. And there was a there was a controversial 10-8. I don't remember the judge, and I'm not name dropping anybody. Oh, but... I do, I do, and I cannot name his name. Very good friend of mine. Yeah, and that's kind of one of my questions too. Is like, do all George all Georges do all judges normally kind of see the fight the same? I mean, I know everybody has their own scorecard, but would you have given a 10-8 round in that fight uh, if, if say you were sitting at that table? In, in all due respect, I, I can't answer that question. Fair enough. Understood. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I did not see that fight okay. live. I and that saw makes a huge difference. Play. Right. It makes a huge difference. Uh, and I know that judge very well. Mm -hmm. One of the highest regarded judges in the world. Okay. Um, so I don't know what he saw, but I, I'm positive he had a better angle than I did. I'm sure. And so, it kind of goes back how you said, like, hey, Joe Blow at the bar. Every, everybody's an expert at being a judge, you know. So it's like it's all he said, she said, watching on the camera. But he probably saw something completely different sitting right there. Maybe they were right in front of him, and and he saw something that we all didn't. You know, I'll give an example. Yeah. There was a round in one of the prelims several weeks ago at a, a fight night, USC fight night. I was the only judge that gave it. Uh, this round to the fighter that the other two judge said lost this round. Okay. I was right under a takedown and a guy took his back. That rear naked choke was deep. 
Mm. How that guy, well, I know how he survived. The round ended. Yeah. But the other two judges couldn't see that. Right. And when later, when I told them, we always have a meeting about why we scored that. The other two judges said, I had no idea it was that deep. I couldn't see from that angle. I said, no, your back, their backs were to you. Yeah. But it was right above me. It was deep. Uh, the guy, I literally could hear him gurgling for Ooh. breath. As it had the round not have ended when it did, the fight within another five minor. seconds, yeah. he would have had to tap. Wow. Or go to sleep. That's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, it, it's so cool to hear that kind of stuff, like I said, because we don't have that kind of vantage point watching on the TV or even in the stands. I mean, you to get the best view of the fight, you've got to be right there. And, and I – one day I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna watch it like that because I, I want to. I, that's that's amazing. All right. Well, you have a you have to have quite a budget for your dry cleaning <laughs> because you get a lot of, you get a lot of blood on your shirt and jacket and things like that. All right. So we've talked about ten eight rounds and how damage duration and dominance really play a role in that. Um, and we talked about too how the vantage point from beside the cage is completely different from watching on TV or even live just from the stands. I heard recently, and I think this is probably just like a hypothetical theory or something like that, but I want to get your take on it too. I think it was on the Anakin Florin podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Apparently they were talking about that there could be one day where we get to where there are five judges judging a fight rather than just three. What is what's your take on yeah. having more judges for a fight? Well, obviously, you know, uh, it gives more opportunity for different angles to be observed. Um, uh, initially, I would think yes, you would probably get a better decision. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, you asked a question earlier. I didn't get a. Uh, I didn't get a chance. We kind of got off subject. Sal D'Amato did a, an analogy himself and did some analyzation of uh, stats that uh, had had came out. Over 90% of the time, all three judges agree on a round. Wow. I know it doesn't sound like that, but it, when he, he did, I mean, he's going from prelims that you probably never see. Right. Uh, it we agree and then you know i think well yeah i can believe that because we go into those debriefing meetings and usually all three of us agree and uh um, you know uh here comes one of my stories okay all right <laughs> uh this was like uh three months ago i guess i was assigned the very first fight of the event which is a prelim that rarely gets televised. Okay. I can't even recall the two fighters. It was a very easy fight to judge. Um, uh, one fighter clearly dominated two rounds. Uh, the other guy got the best shot one round. All three judges saw it uh, two rounds to one for the winning fighter. Unanimous decision. So I sit down in my chair and my phone starts buzzing. Uh, I, you know, I thought at this rate, well, I started getting worried. Maybe, you know, my family, something's going on at home. Yeah. I looked down 
I have three messages on Facebook request, which means it's messages from people that I'm not friends with mm-hmm. and Instagram, three messages on Instagram. This is six messages in 30 seconds. I'm going to give you examples. Just how stupid are you? Uh, are you blind? Wow. Uh, are you a member of the mafia? Who paid you off? How much did it cost for you to see that fight? And I'm like, oh, my God. Holy moly. It wasn't even a controversial fight. It was a easy fight to judge. But that just goes back to what I was saying. Everybody in this world is an expert. For sure. And they they don't understand just because you come from the same hometown or you know this guy because you went to high school with him mm-hmm. or you like the color of his trunks, you have to put all of that aside. And the athletic commissions go far as far far as they can to make sure those kind of things are not at play. I will never be able to judge Nathan Manus. Uh, Nathan is not even related to me, but we have the same last name. I said, because he fights this weekend, I do believe, like, on, I think it's this weekend or next weekend, I believe, but yeah. I think it's the next weekend. Okay. It's highly unlikely that I would ever be able to judge uh, Bryce Mitchell, uh, Nate Landwire, uh, because they just know that I have a long relationship with them. I mean, I saw these kids fighting when they first started as amateur. Yeah. And even though I'm relatively positive, I could judge them impartially. They just don't even want to put me in that position. And yeah. I respect that. I don't Absolutely. want to be put in that, that position. Uh, so uh, it, to that casual fan, it's hard to put those things out of your mind. You know, you may be impressed with this fighter from a three fights ago. They may, you might've become a fan and they let that bleed into. In essence, when I'm judging a three round fight, we are taught it's three fights. Every round stands on its own. You can't even let if they did something super impressive, like you know, I'm a old kickboxer. Let's say in the first round, this guy lands a beautiful roundhouse that I I cannot let thoughts like this. Oh man, he's a kickboxer. That mm-hmm. was a great kick. He is super talented. No, he landed a kick. That's all he did. He landed a kick, and you have to focus. It's pinpoint focus on everything stands on its own. Yeah. At the end of that round, if I think fighter A won, when I turn that card in, when the bell rings, it's a whole new fight. So you guys turn in cards after each round then, right? After each round. Okay. Gotcha. And so what is, uh, what's kind of the criteria when judging around, we've talked about 10 eights, but even like just judging in general, like how do you, what's, what's top of the list and second and then third that you look for? Like if say, if 
nobody if strike if significant strikes were even then like what is it and then what is, you know what i mean the first is always damage okay um who is hurting the other opponent be it um a sustained body attack uh legs to say they're attacking with leg kicks or the most obvious to the face and head through hard shots be a hand or foot elbows knees you first thing you establish who did the most damage because you don't hear me say this a lot at the end of the day it's a fight it's a fight yeah i paid little to no attention to punch stats okay and if you was privileged to some of the things that i i am you would understand how i'm not going to say they're meaningless You've got a guy or lady sitting there tapping a keyboard. They they don't really know if that punch landed or not. They're they're usually <laughs> rolls and rolls back. Whereas I'm sitting there, I hear the impact. Mm-hmm. I see the guy's eyes. Uh, I see the shock wave go through their neck and shoulder. I know. That was a real punch. Mm-hmm. And if you think I'm going to give five flicking jabs that don't even wipe the sweat off the guy's face. Uh, and by the way, three of them didn't even land. It yeah. looked like it did, but it didn't. So now that's, well, he landed five punches to this guy's one. Mm-hmm. And that one did more damage than yeah. 50 of those little, you know, peppering, measuring jabs, you know. So damage is king. Okay. Damage is always king. Gotcha. And then you look for the other two, uh, dominance. mm -hmm. Uh, Let's say there's little to no damage on either side. Who was the pusher of the fight? Who, Who was the aggressor? Who made the fight happen? Who had the other opponent in a state of retreat or survival uh and how long was that was mm-hmm. that a sustained or was it just he had his moments and you talk about a hard fight to judge is one where there's no damage no one was really the aggressor mm-hmm. no one had ever got a real dominant position so there was no duration you're sitting there going there's 10 seconds left in the fight in the round and you're going, please yeah. somebody land a hard <laughs> shot. Please somebody land a takedown. Yeah. Anything to give us something to judge. Yeah. I hate those fights. Because a lot of times, especially in the the championship fights or just bigger names, whenever there's there's always that feeling out process. And sometimes they go a little longer than you would you would hope that they would, like you said, and it'd be the whole first round. I know. Israel Adesanya has been known for a couple of those where it's like the first round, I know his and Yoel Romero's fight, it was like probably the hardest fight ever to judge because it's like there wasn't much done at all the whole time. Right. I hate those. Yeah. Uh, So what is the hardest fight? Let's start with this year. You've judged a lot. I've I've got it pulled up. I've been looking throughout all these, the fights you've judged and what I found was, let's see, I'm going to pull it up real, real quick. 2010 is what I have. Strike Force, April 17th, Muhammad Lal versus Gerard Musasi is the first one that's on here. And then the most recent one, 
is uh, just what nine twenty three. So just a couple weekends ago, uh, Johns and Argetta. What this year? Let's talk about this year first. What's been the hardest fight for you to judge this year? You know, I, I don't want to be uh, evasive with that because that's a great question. Mm. But it's one I honestly could not answer. Okay. I've had so many fights this year. It's been terrible that I was like, am I going to have to flip a coin or what? It's like, <laughs> wow, these guys, they're just not giving me anything to judge. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, which one was the hardest? It would, it would be impossible to say. There's been so many. Do you have any, like, all time that you're like, man, like, looking back, that was a difficult one to judge or that you just remember vividly, like, oh, that was a, a heck of a fight? Because even you had – I'm looking back, and I believe I'm, this fight wasn't in Tennessee, I know, but Jake Shields, Dan Henderson back in 2010. Right. I'm like, holy moly, all these fights. Bigfoot Silva, Andre Arlovsky, Tyron Woodley. You, you've got them all on here. Was there any of them that you remember vividly? Like, man, that was, number one, maybe an awesome fight to judge, or two, like, man, I hate that I had to judge that one. Well, you know, um, this is not for any of the reasons you just named. Okay. But I will never forget Dan Henderson, Jake Shields. Yeah. Because of the Nashville brawl that occurred minutes later. Yes. You remember that? Yes. Oh, I mean, I was like packing up. Uh, the event was over. Little did I, I wasn't paying attention to the interview in the cage that Jason Mayhem Miller had somehow got in the cage and he asked, he asked Jake Shields a simple question. Hey, buddy, when are you going to give me a shot? Well, apparently Nick and Nate Diaz took exception to that <laughs> or the fact that he was even in the cage and mayhem ensued. Oh. Uh, Jeff Mullen, uh, he, was, he was screaming at me to come in and help restore order. Uh, even though I was a judge, I mean – Jeff yeah. in my history and wanted yeah. me in the in the cage. Well, as fate would have it, the first guy I got to was Nick Diaz. Wow. He was so strong. As I tried to pull him off of uh, Mayhem Miller and trying to negotiate, talk to him, calming down. As one of my friends said, Anthony, he was dragging you around that cage like a <laughs> rag doll. I, yeah, he was. I'll just Jeez. never forget how strong Nick Diaz was. Wow, that's awesome! What a, what a memory to have of that. Um, another fight that I saw, and I had no idea that you judged this one: Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum. Mm-hmm. What a war that fight! That that last round. Oh my gosh! Like I, I can't I love imagine judging fights like that. I yeah, love oh, judging yeah. those. Because I can't they even can imagine sitting cage time judge. for that. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, that's so cool. I love it. What are the stories you got about judging or things that happen? I, I, like, I'm like, man, I don't even care about my questions. Let's just, let's just go down memory lane a little bit. This is awesome. Man, I, this is a, one of my favorite stories. Uh, Jonathan Ivey mm -hmm. was fighting a pro fight in Nashville. Okay. And I was sitting cage side uh, with Jeff Mullen, and I can't really remember what capacity. I think I was the ISK rep for an, 
maybe a few amateur fights. Uh, I wasn't judging because I was sitting next to Jeff. Well, Jonathan was getting plummeled. There was a corner man that he that followed him around. Uh, he was a heavy guy uh, that had face tattoos, super nice kid. And he turns and looks at me and says, Anthony, what should I tell him? Jeff Mullen grabs me by the arm and says, you can't answer that, Anthony. You can't answer that. <laughs> and I didn't answer that. That was the first time I met Jelly Row. Wow. It was Jelly Row. That's and, insane. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny. Uh, Jelly, he he was always hanging around the fights and Jonathan Ivey and it. And I'll never forget, you know, I don't know if you know this. I'm also a musician. Yes, absolutely. And, and somebody had mentioned to him and he's like, Anthony, uh, I hear you're into music. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, I'm a rapper. And I remember thinking, I'm sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. the joke's on me. Right. Cause now he's, yeah, <laughs> yeah the joke is on me, you know, that, and that goes uh, back uh, that I, earlier in this interview, when I said things transcend combat sports, other sports and life itself. Mm hmm. Never underestimate anybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, be it a fighter, be it a singer, be it a poet, be a, uh, a track star, a football player. You just never know um, the drive or motivation or talent level that's in all of us. Yeah. And uh, that's the lesson I learned. Don't underestimate anybody. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. So. You have judged, I believe, just this year. Also, oh, let's get that back in. So you've judged uh, UFC, Bellator, and PFL this year, I do believe, if I'm right, or maybe yes. at least in the last two years. Um, we're going to go down memory lane more than likely a little bit here. I'm going to ask you about all three. I'm going to ask you three questions about each each organization, okay? Um, let's see. Let's start with PFL. PFL, what is the best fight either that you've been in attendance for or that you've judged for the PFL so far? Well, do you have the list there to, oh, to kind of help me? See. Yeah. PFL, let's see. This year, you've got Flores and Torres. You've got... Uh, da -da -da. You judged all of these? Yes. So there's three PFL fights that you've judged this year. Uh, it looks like that may be all of them this year. You're going to make me try and pronounce these crazy names. Mavlid, Kaibulov, and Ryoji Kudo. And then... Well, you know, uh, you're kind of getting into, again, not being evasive. Yeah. You would be surprised how little I know about yeah. these fighters. Fair. Uh, it, so... It's I've got. I'm trying to say this and not sound egotistical. I judge so many fights; they all blur into one. Fair. It's okay. rare that a fight stands out to me. Okay. Now the organization itself does. Uh, okay. The PFL, um, very uh, very structured. I love working for them. Um, 
what I would remember from them and take away is their professionalism. Okay. Uh, a lot of organizations trying to come up and, and get into the market of, of Bellator or even UFC. Yeah. That is one thing they have to have in common professionalism hmm. and the pfl uh they got it going on they're very professional very because, organized structured and one thing that i like that pfl introduced was the body cam for the ref too because then you kind of get mm -hmm. the vantage point of what they're seeing and why they stop the fight and things like that too i wonder if do you ever think that maybe we'll have a judge vantage point where like there's a camera face it where the judge is at a camera facing into the cage that we'll ever see like oh maybe this is what the judge is seeing we, here you know i haven't heard that discussed but God, okay. i would be all for it yeah uh like the scenario i described a few minutes ago it sure would help the casual fan go wow uh that was deep uh, yeah you know the the broadcast did not show that but that mm. was that was deep you know that kind of thing right so Instead of going going uh, organization by organization, I'm just going to ask you, what is the best event that you've been to? And, like, they may all blur together. I don't know. But, like, UFC, Bellator, is there anyone that really stands out that's just like, I remember this fight, it was at this place, and it was fantastic? Well, you, you know, I keep going back to I'll never forget that strike force. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that one stands out and not – for such a good reason, but yeah. the Nashville brawl and, and it was in my home state in Tennessee. And yeah, there was a lot of good fights. Um, a I lot of big that, names. Yeah. I believe that uh, we had Jeremy Wallace fight on that card. I think he was on the undercard. Yeah. And then I think Zach Underwood was also on that card that night. Uh, right. If I'm not mistaken. Um, Cause I remember, I think at that card, I met big black Jason Wood was down there walking around and, and he introduced me to Big Black. I'll try to find a photo. We'll throw it up in, in the mix of everything. But that was, yeah, I remember that night too. That was, that was a, that was a really cool event. It was really you know, nice. There, there was another event in St. Louis. Um, I think it was a strike force. Okay. And this is, this story is going to sound like uh, I walk into a bar and well, and there was a duck, a chicken, and a bear at a time, you know. <laughs> but I walked into a small bar in St. Louis, Missouri, the night before, and there sat Fedor Emelianco, uh, Dan Henderson, Quentin Rampage Jackson, oh. and uh, Olive Star Overing. Wow. All in a little bar. Not much bigger than my bedroom I'm in right now. Wow. And I just looked around and I remember thinking, <laughs> gosh, I hope a fight doesn't break out. Right. <laughs> this right. is one bar. I hope a fight does not break out. Sheesh. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine, number one, like, like you said, if a fight broke out, that happened. But two, like just even the stories that these guys were, were talking about or chit-chatting or whatever at that table too. Cause you've got, I mean, four of the greatest fighters of all time and mm -hmm. it, uh, in, at one table at one bar right there. That's insane. Oh, well, man. actually, you, you know, if someone asked me, who do I think the greatest MMA fighter of all time, I would have to go with Fedor Emelianenko. 
Really? Yeah, he. It's hard to imagine any other fighter that completely dominated like he did. Now, in the way he did, mm-hmm. there's been people, John Jones, you know, my God, he ruled forever. Obviously, yeah. he's one of the greatest time. Um, uh, St. Pierre, uh, yeah. the list just goes on. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, he, a lot of, of amazing great fighters, but Fedor would kill you. <laughs> he would like decapitate you. And, you know, it's like, wow, I, I would not have wanted to fight Fedor Melienko. Uh, no, not me neither. And I met him several times. He he seemed to be a nice guy. Uh, I don't quite understand. If I don't know if he's understanding me, <laughs> what I say. I don't know if he's English, but right. he seems to be a nice guy. Right. So one thing that I'm interested in the in the getting into your brain with you you've been around. The list is a laundry list full of names. Mount Rushmore has four heads. Who is your Mount Rushmore of fighters? Who's your four? If if Fedor's your greatest, he's got to be on there. Who's the other three that are kind of at the top of, of mixed martial arts ever? Okay, so we are only talking about mixed martial arts. Let's Yeah, let's talk uh, about mixed right. martial arts. Because I'm a huge fan uh, you know, in boxing. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a boxer named uh, Julio Chavez. Yeah. Uh, he was He was incredible as yeah. a boxer. We're focusing on MMA. Well, I said Fedor. Mm-hmm. Uh, George St. Pierre. Yeah. Uh, he would be one. Um, and I, I mentioned Matt Hughes. I was very in John Jones. That would probably be four. I like it. That's that's a heck of a list right there. Um, let's let's and, dive into you. Go ahead. No, you've got something else. I like it. And, you know, I, I love quoting Corey Schaefer because he, he he's said so many great things that uh, he's the president of the ISCAG. Okay. He did a speech one time at a strike force that had uh, an all-star crowd listening to him. He said, what do you guys think could be the worst thing that happened to you tonight? He said, if you think losing is the answer, you're wrong. The worst thing that could happen to you tonight is be boring. Mm. Because what we do is entertainment. Right. People are buying tickets. They're buying pay-per-views. They're they're turning on their TV sets. If it's CBS, ABC, if you bore, they're not going to, they're not going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. So those four people that I just named was rarely ever boring. Yeah, that's they true. They brought a charisma. They brought an energy and, and it's, it's an intangible thing that's hard to describe. They just brought something to the table. Mm. And, and and when I say this again, I, I hope no one takes this as being egotistical. It just was what it was. People ask me about why I was so popular as a kickboxer. One guy summed it up better than anybody. He said, 
when I come saw you, every time I come saw you fight, I knew something very violent was going to happen. Yeah. He said, it might be to you, <laughs> but we all knew your fights don't go the distance because something brutal is going to happen to somebody. Yeah. And people love that. They, they just loved it. Now, you know, being honest, a lot of that was lack of talent on my part. <laughs> that that's just my <laughs> recipe for trying to win. Sure, I had to make them wars uh, because I didn't think I was fast enough or or technical enough to win technical point decisions. That just wasn't what. That's just wasn't the kind of fighter I was. Mm-hmm. And when I look at these guys, those are the kind of guys that really stand out to me the guys that want to finish a fight, uh, they, they're they not content with winning a decision. They want a submission. They want a knockout. Mm-hmm. They want to leave no doubt in anybody's mind tomorrow over the morning coffee. There's no controversy. There's no questions about who won that fight. Yeah. I really love those guys yeah, and ladies. A, yeah. That's a fantastic answer. Like that's, Cause you never really think about fighting as the entertainment business, like you said. And even though it is, I mean, you're buying the pay-per-views, you're buying the tickets. And I feel like right now in the UFC specifically, um, we're starting to kind of see that movement more into entertainment, right? Cause they just partnered with the WWE um, and, and for, formed TKO. Um, like we're starting to kind of see, these more personalities coming out, Sugar, Sean O'Malley, Conor McGregor, these post-fight interviews are getting more and more entertainment-like. How do you feel that that is doing for the business in itself? Is that is that a good thing? Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? Now, that's a great question, and I have mixed feelings about that. There's one thing that I cannot tolerate is – the integrity of the sport being watered down mm-hmm. because I love combat sports. You know, I just told you earlier in this, my, my career, that's one thing that especially boxing has struggled with is the integrity MMA uh, and kickboxing. Uh, I rarely ever hear anyone question. Was that fight fixed? Was that fight thrown? Right. And I love that. I love the fact that everybody knows it's real. It it is real, and you can tell. I I hope that line never gets blurred for the sake of entertainment. Right. Uh, So that's my concern. But uh, as far as is this bringing it to a bigger audience, obviously I like that. Mm Mm-hmm. and these are very, the UFC is, again, an amazing organization, very conscious of this thing I'm talking about. Right. I don't think that they would let that happen. Yeah. Uh, there's, they just have a great marketing. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of people don't realize just how floundering the UFC was when the Zufa brothers purchased it. I mean, it was basically bankrupt. It, it right. was soon going to go away and who knows for mixed martial arts, if it would even exist today. 
Right. But Dana White, he was a brilliant guy, and he did some changes, and, well, the rest is history. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So change is good, uh, and I, I feel good that the UFC and, and Bellator, those major they understand that. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. One thing that I think um, with the entertainment side of things is is we're starting to see – champions kind of move divisions early. Like we talked earlier about like Fedor. Fedor was a a heavyweight. Uh, GSP was a welterweight until the end of his career when he came back, fought Bisbing. Like back in the day, we saw people stick in a division and they stuck it out and they just ran the entire division. And we're starting to see now these champs and guys start moving early just so they can get the double champ. They can get more eyes on them. How do you feel about that kind of stuff? Well, I'm probably the last person you should ask that because I won five pro titles in five different weight divisions. But mine wasn't my game room. All these belts are in there, and you know people go, "Well, you just must have wanted different." No, I was a kid when I started, mm-hmm. and as I naturally grew up, I would just move divisions. Okay, so that's how that happened. But. Herb Dean and I was talking about this very subject, Cage side one day, and he said, Anthony, what you did could not be done today. Oh, no, absolutely. And just as if on cue, John Jones walks up to where we were talking. Yeah. And Herb looked at him. He said, Anthony, you would be fighting him. And John Jones (laughs) looked at us. He said, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I said, I finished my career at your weight. Wow. He was so much bigger than me. He it's was huge. taller than me. He was, he would have massacred me. There's no way I could have fought a guy that big. Yeah. So what I would have had to do instead of fight at, at, at 185, I would have had to cut to 165 just to feed a, fight a guy my own size. So these guys have got weight cutting down to an art. Mm-hmm. He, you know, John Jones walks around, I'm sure, as a full-fledged heavyweight. Right. Uh, but he cuts down, you know, and, and it, like this Conor McGregor, you mentioned, You did you see pictures of him just like He's massive. six months or a year ago? He's got to be 185, 190, somewhere around there. If, oh, at least. At least. And if he's talking yeah. about fighting Chandler at 155 – I can't even comprehend that. No, absolutely not. That's going to be nuts. I That's one fight that I'm really excited to see. And I just did like a, a short video on my Instagram on it of like, when is that going to happen? You got any dirt? You know when that's going to happen, Anthony? Well, you know, it keeps going back and forth. There was, mm-hmm. a, there was a minute there that they were saying it would never happen. And right. now it's back on. You know, money talks, BS walks. Right. Well, apparently, Connor said as of yesterday that he had stuff turned into USADA as of yesterday. So, but we we've seen how he is on Instagram, Twitter, and all that kind of stuff too, though. So who who knows what's really going on? But I'm I'm hopeful for January. But when I talk about the money, when I talk about the money, I'm talking about how the UFC sees this. Yeah, that's going to be a cash cow. Oh, 100%. trust me, they want it to happen. Yeah. Uh, the the athletic commissions want it to happen. They want it to happen in their state. I know I'd love to see that in Nashville or 
you, you know, I was, it's like, it's everybody's win, win, win. So yeah. everybody wants it to happen. Obviously it's got to happen legitimately. He's mm -hmm. going to have to make weight. Uh, it's, they're going to have to pass the, the drug screens and everything. It's got to be legit. Yeah, but everybody wants it to happen. I just hope Connor wants it to happen as bad as we all do. Right. So, exactly. I know my he's there. He he's there. Yeah. So is is there any matchups right now that you would like to see that that UFC hasn't announced or anything that you've kind of kept your radar on that you followed and you're like these guys need to fight right now? Uh, well, obviously that one. I'd like yeah. to see that one. I'd like to see Nate Diaz uh, back in the octagon one more time at least. Okay. Any uh, against who? Connor? Do the trilogy fight? That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be that would be really good. If, if yeah. that say that was the retirement fight for both of those dudes, right? There, that would be the perfect one for for both men. I would think. I, yeah. For me, I think Connor's title contention is kind of over. I mean, it really depends on how he looks against Michael Chandler. But based off of his last few fights, that Poirier fight breaking the leg, and it's just. It doesn't really seem yeah. like he's there. It's more so get the money while you can and get get back. Right. Out. Right. And, and, you know, Nate's in the same position. God, yeah. I love him. Uh, but, you know, realistically, are they going to win another world title? I doubt it. Nah, probably not. But they will entertain us. You know, oh, they're yeah. always entertaining. They got That's, that magic I was talking about. 100%. Is there any division right now in the UFC that has your attention the most? Well, I like the middleweights. Really? Okay. Yeah. Especially now, um, Sean Strickland being the the champion. Didn't see that one coming. There's a yeah. there's a couple the big fights coming up. Hamza and Costa. You've got Roman and Jared Cannonier. I'm I'm yeah. curious to see what they end up doing with all that. Yeah, all of them are, are interesting matchup. You know, like you said, nobody saw Strickland, but nobody saw that coming. <laughs> no. And I love that. I love yeah. that. You know, that adds to the integrity I was talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, wow, you know, this is real and everybody's coming to win. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, I think that one and I think the Bantamweight or, yeah, the Bantamweight division right now is super interesting. It's hot. It's yeah. hot. Yes. Apparently, I just said Bantamweight. I just saw right before we hopped on here, they've two fights are being targeted in January, which is they're also leaning towards a third. But uh, Marab and Henry Cejudo, they're apparently targeting in January. Uh, apparently, they're targeting Arnold Allen and Mavzar Evloev, and then Volkanovski Toporia in January, all in Canada. So that should be pretty interesting. If all those were on the same card, that'd be a really good card. Yeah, it would. I'd like to see that. Yeah. So one more question that I have, and then and then we're pretty much done here. You work with a lot of, of people that people see on uh, TV quite a bit. Who is the funniest person that you work with at all these events? Well, you know, there's a lot of colorful people, you know, Joe Rogan. Uh, but funny, uh, Mike Beltran. Really? Uh, the referee with the long. Yes. Oh, he is a hoot. <laughs> yeah, he, on Instagram, he's always sending me these funny videos, these TikToks, and they're all hilarious. Uh, hilarious. That is not who we're, I would have guessed. That's all. That's awesome. We're constantly trading funny videos back and forth. Oh, he's he's a nut. Very well, and, very good referee. Very uh, good referee. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's easily in the top three. Easily yes. in the top three. 
Well, Anthony, any shout outs you want to make? This is the end of my questions. This is all I've got, man. We've got like less than a minute left on Zoom. So what? Uh, who do you want to shout out? Uh, how can people find you? Uh, not to send you any kind of threats or messages about judging, but it, just to say what's up. Go ahead. Spill all that out. Well, you know, like I said, I can't thank uh, guys like Corey Schaefer, president of the ISKA, uh, Jeff Mullen, uh, Andy Foster, guys like that that gave me the opportunity to do the things I love. Uh, and I'm on social media. You can check me out on Facebook, Instagram, um, Snapchat. I love hearing from you guys. So hit me up and uh, follow these crazy stories. That's my life. Well, Anthony, I appreciate it so much with you being on here. It was a pleasure to sit down for the last hour or so and hear all the stories and memories and reminiscing and all the things. Uh, can't wait to see you again in person. When's the next event you're going to be in locally that you know of? I'm in Paducah, Kentucky this weekend uh, oh, okay. for uh, for the Jonas show there. And mm -hmm. then the next weekend, you can check me out at the UFC in Vegas at Fightin' Nice. All right. Well, Anthony, again, thank you so much for hopping on, man. I hope you have a great rest of the night. Appreciate you. You too. Thanks.